0: Hello and welcome back to the Strange Water Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you've been a part of this industry for the last couple of years, you have heard the word ZK every other sentence or tweet or whatever. Now, there's so much that can be said about zero knowledge cryptography, but let me try to sum it up into a couple of big ideas. Before ZK, most of the energy in cryptography was about using math to encrypt information, making it private to everyone, except for those with the correct cryptographic keys. And then in 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto handed down a white paper and made a world changing assertion. He said that cryptography can be used for so much more than encryption. It can also be used to create trustless computation. Now the journey from 2008 to today is long and complicated and full of drama. But I personally think it's fair to understand the story of our industry as the process of understanding the power of cryptography and how to build tangible products with this new tool set. But here's the problem. The cryptography we are talking about is so advanced, so abstract, and so brand freaking new that almost no one knows how to work with it yet. The lift of explaining how a KZG commitment works is so large that it's near impossible to get to the actually interesting question. What can you do with it? The problem is actually worse than that because even if you can explain how a KZG commitment can hide secret data behind an elliptic curve The reality is is it's really hard to get this math running efficiently enough that it's actually useful. But every day it becomes more and more clear. These problems will be solved very soon. Today's guest is Omar Shlomovitz, co-founder and CEO of Ingoyama. Now, if you go to their website, you'll think this is a ZK hardware company and you're partially correct. But Ingoyama is so much more. They are not just creating specialized hardware. They are creating integrated tools, SDKs and APIs that abstract away all the moon math and cutting edge silicone. The goal? To abstract away the intense mathematical implementation and systemic risk of ZK cryptography so that developers can focus on building applications. And importantly, providing implementations that are actually performant enough to build enterprises on top of. This is a fantastic conversation at the bleeding edge of cryptography, open source, entrepreneurship, and just general building. If you have any interest in understanding how ZK is actually gonna work, make sure you pay attention. One more thing before we begin. Please do not take financial advice from this or any podcast. Ethereum will change the world one day, but you can easily lose all of your money between now and then. All right, let's start the show. Omar, thank you so much for joining us on the Strangewater podcast. No, oh, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So, um before we get started into like the real interesting part of what you're building with Ingoyama, like I am just a huge believer that um the most important part of any human venture is the humans involved with it. So, <laughs> my first question to you is like who who are you um and how did you find yourself in such a like the bleeding edge of where mathematics touches computation touches degeneracy? <laughs> So I'm based in Israel. I guess that's the first fact that we need. Uh,
1: that's relevant here. And um, at least in Israel, you have this like mandatory service side. Right? So you have to uh, enlist into into the army. I was part of this um, uh, program where I'm actually committed to spend quite a lot of time. And uh, uh, and I was like in intelligence in different uh, doing the different roles, and also got my academic background at least like. Um, uh, the areas uh, and and uh, degrees uh, as part of this uh, in this context. Okay, so I was tuned into more of like this uh, defense industry um, and intelligence. Right, so I was uh, studying physics and electrical engineering, um, and then completed a master in electrical engineering, all all while like doing my uh, mandatory and then voluntary uh, service wearing multiple hats uh, you know playing multiple roles uh, research development managerial roles and i think that um uh, ever since you know my 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 first experience um uh, professional experience it was always around people and innovation uh that's kind of like the two things that at least for me um and maybe also creativity like this these are kind of like the leading uh, think, or at least for me, what's, what I think is, is you know, uh, what guides me, uh, where the way that I pick, uh, what what makes me, I don't know, what uh, I find the most fun and, and what I kind of like, I guess, um, makes the most uh, contributions. Uh, and it's also, it means that even like in the context of the army, I was kind of entrepreneur, but it was, uh, I mean, in, in that context, it's less about getting money from, you know, others um, and building products. It's more about you get resources, it can be like human resources, it can be other, other stuff. Uh, but yeah, like there, there are similar, uh, similar concepts. Now, when I um, left eventually um, uh, the army, I've done something which is, I guess at least in Israel, like this is like probably like a uh, very traditional way in which entrepreneurs are being born. So yeah, I mean, I've kind of like just paired with uh, a couple of friends from my service and we started uh, my first company. It was mostly a learning experience and um, very far, by the way, from, from the space. It was healthcare, brain technologies, a lot of technologies that uh, had nothing to do with what I've done so far, but excited me, um, like virtual reality, machine learning, AI, and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, 10, months, one year, something like this into the venture, um, actually we closed, uh, but yeah, uh, many important life lessons that I took from, from that phase. Now, another important thing to note is that, um, at some point I started uh, my PhD in cryptography in computer science.
0: Well, so sorry, just drilling in on that specifically, like what, um, what was exciting about cryptography specifically to you all
1: right so i mean this is something it's it's hard to explain because it's a passion i mean it's something that just attracted me from very little age so the beginning you read about it like when you see a book um i don't applied cryptography by, by bruce neer you just like read through it and and uh, you find some joy in and by way of like understanding this how these things work and the magic of cryptography like definitely i still think till today that like part of cryptography is pure magic um and at some point, I just wanted to more like have, you know, formal education in cryptography. Um, it it was in a sense, a bit of a shift from like, you know, more of engineering, uh, uh, like more academic background in, in physics and, and electrical engineering to computer science. But it went kind of smooth because of my um, professional experience um, till that point in time. So my uh, in, in my PhD, I, I Worked, by the way, supervised by Professor Yudelindel, Lindel. And um, I was looking into technologies like, you know, advanced or, or ultra-modern cryptography, multi-party computation, which is uh, obviously is using zero-knowledge proofs in a sense. Um, and also got attracted to this amazing world of um, blockchains. And basically, at the same time, Ethereum kind of like um, just started and the concept of smart contract basically blew my mind. Right? It was like, I don't know, it was crazy. So I tried to think what you can do with smart contracts and cryptography combined. So from the very early days of Ethereum, that's kind of like what I had in mind. And um, at some point I I met with uh, the co-founder of my previous company, uh, a company named Zengo, and, in this company, Zengo, basically, Zengo is, is a consumer, it's consumer product we build, we've built, um, still ongoing, by the way, it's, I think it's a successful company. Um, and we've been building there um, this digital wallet right, for cryptocurrency. And the reason why uh, I found it compelling was first, obviously, the product and the notion of and the vision of um, getting you know, the next billion uh, people uh, on crypto and you know this ease of use and and um, peace of mind the other thing was the security the cryptography and that's also was my part of the company kind of like a cto basically in charge of open source infrastructure and cryptography so it's not very far from what i'm doing today in the company although today we are taking it i guess one step farther and we do the full stack including the um yeah but back then it was mostly focused around uh npc which is uh, kind of like um, you know the, the killer uh, like the killer application for for one of the killer applications for MPC is definitely in key management for um, stuff like uh, blockchain. So yeah, I mean uh, I had the chance to uh, see the technology kind of like go all the way from academia, and then today it's like almost a standard in in the industry. Um, During that time, by the way, I also uh, co-founded a non-profit around pushing this technology, like to do this kind of like transition uh called the MPC Alliance, which now is I don't know, uh 50, 50 plus companies, some of them are very big and work together around this like market education angle. So uh I guess you know, four years into Zengo into this uh company, I realized that the amount of innovation Uh, that I can bring and how much I can stay in the focus of the company, which, remember, it's like a consumer company, is very much limited. And I basically looked on how I can optimize um, my, you know, just take what I already know and and, uh, the skills that I acquired and and what can I do that would have a larger impact. So um, then I started this phase of ideation. And I have to say, I cannot take credit for the idea uh, of, you know, marrying cryptography and, and hardware. Because it was like the signal was there. I mean I know now that it was a very, very good timing, uh, but um, you know everywhere I went, people just and I can mention here like Justin Drake, for example, who is you know is in, sitting in our board and kind of like considered the, the godfather of the company. So he and, and he and many others basically told me this is the opportunity. like this is obvious that hardware is going to be needed like any technology. like any successful technology requires software algorithms and hardware. Here, it's clear that it's missing and the opportunity might be now. So that's kind of like
0: when I started to explore it. No, okay. before I let you kind of go on with um, basically the start of Ingoiyama and like what is being built today, let's just uh, hover over over your background a little bit because like, especially in 2023, um, you know, I think a lot of us have lost sight that cryptocurrency is not just about Currency and DeFi and money, but like the the actual base science at the the bottom of this is cryptography, and I think that's like why I'm I'm so um, interested in like the perspectives of people that come at this from a academic, like formalized academic background first, really understand the power of the technology, and then are looking for ways to either build applications or build infrastructure so that um, developers can focus on applications. And so I think uh, something I want to ask you is at this time, and, and even today, when you're, when Ingoiyama is this just nascent kind of vibe that's transforming into an idea, um, and this is a big question, so let me know if you need me to refine it, but like, what are you starting to understand the purpose of ZK cryptography is for, and the power of ZK cryptography, um, above and beyond just like cryptography?
1: Um yeah, that's uh, <laughs> indeed a big question. <laughs> and um, also, you know, just to refer to the first part of the, um, of your statement. Indeed, I mean, uh, back when, you know, I started to look into the space, which was, as I mentioned, um, uh, a short time before Ethereum started, it was, it was intriguing. There was uh, not so many academic papers, so it was kind of easy to stay on top. Today, obviously it's impossible. It's it's clearly impossible. Um, and uh, you, you can see this kind of like transition. I mean, it's also another um, phenomenon that, that we can highlight is that when you look at the, you know, the professors like this, um, uh, uh, the, the people that are leading in, in, in academia, in, in various fields that are related to blockchain, basically like this, this entire layer of, you know, academics moved, to lead or to be part of research group or, you know, blockchain companies. And basic, and, and what we see is that it, it pushes kind of like the space forward. It's very interesting to be in this point where research, which is like almost like oh, academic research and, and industry and products are racing. So they are like pretty much at the same point, okay? In, in a way, um, ZK is a good example, right? So ZK, um, I think by now, um, actually it's being led by the industry. Uh, in, in, in a sense, right? we've been used to uh, academia kind of like laying some theory, right, even think about zero knowledge, like have been around for, like I don't know, four decades or something, and at some point you kind of like see the materialize and some products are becoming uh, real and usable and, and scale, but nowadays you see the innovation coming even from like the industry and the cycles are like extremely fast, so also as for us as a hardware company, ZK and, and such technologies are moving targets. Like we need to build our products, our solutions in a way that would uh, be able to um, sustain this environment that is like high pace of innovation and always changing. Um, and it means also something, I guess, on the application. Wow. Like we can inject some 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 of that into the application there. I mean, it's, it's moving that fast, so fast, um, the infrastructure at this point in time uh, and I assume that when you look at the application there it, it's it's kind of like you know the IDs can just like keep coming and we're gonna see some iterations on IDs some of them would be massive it from the get-go some of them would take uh, quite a lot of time to mature and this is like some kind of like a challenge like you know in the last um, we had like a whole ENDS meeting, uh, I think today, um, where we try to think about examples, like let's, let's tell the story, let's actually tell, and we, we took decentralized um, KYC, KYB as an example, right? Um, and kind of like try to connect the dots, how you take this kind of application and go all the way to the infrastructure and how eventually it's gonna it, it, it will mean that you're gonna need, let's say ZK at scale by using some kind of like ZK bridges, and ZK co-processors so that you'll be able to um, kind of like uh, make proofs across chains on the history um, of Ethereum. Right. So this, this is just like you know toy example if you like. We also have been doing this exercise of even looking outside of Web3 because um, you know zero knowledge is about removing trust from, from any system. So in a way, it's like pushing the boundaries of what is Web three. Like it, it, it allows for decentralization. You can take any Web two company you want, and one, once you introduce zero knowledge, you basically again remove trust, making it more decentralized. Allow it to work with blockchains, and um, and so on. So it's very interesting to to observe what other industries might um, be impacted from from this kind of like technology, and. Um, again, like it's it's very blue, like the line of what is, um, how they're gonna be leveraging like something like Ethereum. And you need to tell, you always, you always need to look at this like, this. so maybe I'm kind of like laying out this on one, one side, it's like vertical, right? So let's take an application and vertically kind of like, look how it works from, you know, the top, maybe top down, bottom up, whatever. The other side is horizontal, right? How can I look on different industries, different like um, uh, use cases? applications and and, and and try to apply the technology uh, onto them, right? And that's, yeah, we can, I can give some, I don't know if it's interesting, I can give some examples, cause right now, I mean, we see ourselves as kind of like leading the effort as building their full stack, like the, the hardware and software, we can basically deploy zero knowledge um, on any hardware for, for anyone. Right? You can be an AI company, working at, at some kind of like cloud centralized service uh, you can be, I don't know, like there is the, the ed tech and, and health and finance, gaming, um, defense industry. Like like we've been talking with 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 different ones or different ideas. And yeah, I mean, so to your question, it's very hard for me to pinpoint like what, what kind of applications are gonna emerge and gonna grow and at what point in time. I can also say that this is, um, this is something that for me, right, as a founder should, it's it's one of the things that bothers me the most. Like I do want to see applications. It's important, like we try to aim our effort to where there are actual users, right? Um, and that's something which is very challenging. And I think that as a space we are kind of like um, sometimes, you know, often neglecting the, uh, at least the infrastructure part, right? So we're not really considering what's the application here. And we always need to keep to make sure we actually answer for if there is a pain, we need to answer it. I don't need to make like innovation or build infrastructure for some, I don't know, um, very fancy computation. I need to solve real world problems.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think so. I uh, brief anecdote. I was at Stanford uh, SBC last week and I was very fortunate. I was able to pull Professor Dan Bonet and Professor David C. aside for 30 minutes each. And we talked just a lot about um Crypto, right. And like, what both of them said to me, which I think is exactly what you just said, is that they've both been (laughs) very important professors for decades. And with crypto, it was the first time in their career, where they would write a research paper. And then within like three months, literally three months, it would already be becoming an application that like, either a company was formed around it, or like mattered in real people's lives. And I think like, they both said, I did this happened once and I just thought it was like cool, but didn't, you know, just like a weird thing that happened. It was the second time this happened where I realized like, oh my God, there's something magical happening in the crypto industry. And so like I think you're right, like something special we have here is like this like total fusion of the academic level with the, you know, company builder level that, you know, maybe we'll mature out of, maybe we won't, but like it's clearly something incredibly special, right? And I think, um, you know, I think kind of like to sum up what most of us in the ZK space are like kind of understanding the purpose of ZK to be, and I think you you put it very aptly, right, is it's removing trust, right? But like more specifically, it's about creating computation um, that can be trustless, right? And so the idea is like with ZK knowledge, you can run or sorry with zk proofs you can run computation anywhere centralized dark computers whatever but like with the zk proof you can um you know recreate this idea of trustlessness that we found so critical in blockchain and so you know i think we're super early i think you're right to point out that it's like important to think about applications and not just build technology for technology's sake but at the same time like w- because it's so early and like, because ZK is, it's it's literal moon math, right? Like, especially you listen to the Starkware guys talk, it's, it's actual magic, literal magic. And um, a huge part of what needs to be done today is just help people understand what is this technology, what are the possible use cases, and then building it. So instead of implementing graduate level math, you're just implementing APIs and SDKs and like, things that over the last 50 years we've developed into like developer toolkits.
1: Uh, so first comment is, um, about your encounter with Dan Bonnet. So I was part of this mov- movement. I mean, we are part of this movement. I remember, like, you know, in my previous company, um, it's, it's not only that, you know, when, when someone like Dan Bonnet is releasing a paper, it's, it's about like infiltrating the, ac- you know, academia in a way. Like you want to influence what kind of paper is being written. Like you want to, um, uh, to guide the research questions, because from where we stand, we actually, um, you know, we work on problems that matter, that actually can can you know can change lives, um, can move things. And people in academia not always have this um, uh, this point of view. So when you can share with them these ideas, often it leads to joint research, right? Um, so I mean, also in our company, it's, it was like from day one, we always been trying to be as you know, curious as possible, kind of like say, ask the open questions, um, try to walk with other researchers, like be very open. That's part of our ethos, like be extremely open in what we do, cause we know that it can encourage like more research that can lead into more exciting results um, and so on. The second thing is about education. So we actually devote quite a lot of resources to do basic education. And, and I think it's it's in our case, Again, building also the hardware, it's it's super important. So when you think about a, a team that has a product with zero knowledge, and today zero knowledge is actually being run on the wrong hardware, on CPU. And that's a limitation, right? So at some point you hit this bottleneck, like that's the best you can do. And, and often it's just not enough in terms of user experience. Now, what we say in the company is because we can actually work on different hardware, on the right hardware, it's a matter of, you know, I mean, it depends on how much money you want to invest. What's your setup? But basically, um, if you can define some kind of like specification that you want to to meet, we can actually make it happen. Like we can find the right hardware um, and 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 make it work. So for us, education here is is basically ZK is here. I mean, it's not, you try to say. I'm not sure. I uh, you know I agree 100% with the statement that we are so early. The way that we see it is that it, it is do like today. You can take um, there's enough you know, software engineering um, already and and there are enough tools uh, and we don't have enough users. But if you actually need this kind of like tool in in your product, if you need zero knowledge and um, you're willing to, you know, take a big bet on that, which this is kind of like how far we are, it's actually possible. And it's it's important for us to bring this to the awareness of people. And eventually developers should be aware that this is like part of their toolbox, right? This is something they can use. And of course it will improve over time, right? But I think we hit this, uh, uh, this sweet spot of, you know, software, hardware algorithms where things are working together. Um, and I hope that soon we'll start to see even more kind of like how they click and actually um, produce amazing products. That, that's what we aim at least. But it, it, it boils down, I mean, education is, is important uh, leg in all of that uh, story. I mean, we try to do basic things, like we try to provide resources um, to make them accessible, to give talks about like the most basic things. Cause it's, 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 a, it's a tough topic. I mean, it's, it's tough, like there's, it's, it's hard to learn, it's hard to understand. So definitely there should be kind of like
0: uh, a lot of education for sure for sure yeah and and i take your point that like from a capability standpoint you're totally right like we're not early like kzg commitments are well understood like bulletproof pe- like peterson like there's so much that is like ready to be operationalized today but and yet i'd still say that we are er- early in like a very specific se- uh sense right which is like today Almost no developers have any understanding of, like, how UDP works, how TCP works, how IP works, how, like, ICANN, how any of these systems work. But every developer can trivially deploy a website that is accessible over HTTPS, right? And I think, and, and not only can they do it, but, like, it is well understood, like, what what how to do it and then like what capabilities that provides to the application and i think that once we're at the https level for like individual commitment schemes like that's when i'll start to feel like we're not early we're in a developed ecosystem so i don't know if you take issue with that but that's kind of no it's point yeah fair point uh completely agree cool all right so i cut you off um while you were like giving us the 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 how Ngoiama came to being. So um, why don't you just like, you know, real briefly, or as briefly as you want, like, let us know, like, how you went from like, understanding that um, ZK is so incredibly powerful, it's so limited by the the specific machines that we're running on. And so like, there's a huge opportunity to take academic um, concepts, put them into SDKs and into API's, and then accelerate the shit out of them with hardware.
1: Yeah, so I think that initially the premise was, um, or the blue ocean that I saw in front of me was just this, uh, taking these two different things. One is cryptography and specifically what they call like ultra-modern cryptography or, or privacy enhancing technologies, FAG, zero knowledge. It can also, by the way, trickle to um, post-quantum cryptography and even MPC, which is going in the direction of becoming more compute-bounded. Um, So take this on one hand, on the other hand, take hardware and uh, put them together. Now, eventually we need to, or what we, it was very obvious that we need also to pick um, like a specific technology to focus on. Um, And zero knowledge is the most advanced and also where, you know, already we have companies and there's a market. So it it in a way also made us pick uh, the most natural market for us, which is uh, Web3. And uh, there are companies building on this technology they have like pain points already that can be solved and um, it's 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 the, the, you know the fact that zero knowledge is not a good fit for CPU it's very easy to you know uh, to explain right like CPU is uh, more for like general purpose computing and um, you know it, everything from the number of bits to the type of like um, uh computations that the arithmetic that is being run on the cpu the memory everything is just like not a good fit for zero knowledge the best analogy we have is like with ai gpus and and compared to cpus okay so like imagine today um writing a paper or deploying some kind of product and using cpus for ai instead of um GPU and, and this is also where we need to be in, in, in when, it, when it comes to zero knowledge, right? We also need to use like specialized hardware that is more suitable to zero knowledge. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was very clear from the get go that we need to bring the world of specialized hardware into zero knowledge. Like we need to basically grow as an ecosystem and move from this phase where people are implementing on CPU cause that's what they have. That's what like, you know, that's the tools that they've got to basically um, be able to seamlessly run it on GPU, right? Like when you work today with AI, you don't kind of like try to understand, oh, this is um, GPU, that's FPGA that I'm using, this is an ASIC. You don't care about that. Like you say to PyTorch, I'm going to run on GPU today, and that's it. Like you're good to go. So we need to be at that at that level, and um, we've done this. I mean, since since inception, which was uh, um, you know early 2022, uh, let's say. Uh we've been dealing with trying you know, we've been trying to um basically be part of the ecosystem and uh help companies um that uh would that are that get to this point that of a bottleneck in the infrastructure, right? And uh it was a very interesting path that we took. So we had many learnings along the way, and I would say this kind of like uh, I wouldn't call it like pivots or like even mini pivots, but you basically take some learning from, you know, you have some experience, like you try to implement something on a given hardware, you see if it works, if it makes sense, if it can actually be deployed, if it can be usable for someone, then you make some like conclusions around that and you you, you make the, the next logical step, which is, you know, based on these conclusions, you kind of like refine um, what you're trying to do, right? So just to give an example, uh, it was, um, like, you know, again, let's take the analogy of AI. So with AI, you have matrix multiplication. That's like the walking, uh, you know, the walking horse, the one that like uh, the, the base, the basis uh, for the math computation. Now, if I have an accelerator for matrix multiplication, have I solved AI acceleration? Not at all. I today AI acceleration is handled like if you look even at like at Nvidia and 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 Broadcom. Like there are so many things that are not just the compute. And you need to look at the problem kind of like end-to-end, right? It's it's also network, for example, which m- many times becomes the main bottleneck, like, right? Nothing to do even with compute. So that's another, that's one lesson that we've learned, right? We also started from, I mean, like we realized, as I said at the beginning, we need to build the semiconductor company, right? That's kind of like the, uh, where we need to be. But then we understood that, okay, like we need to wait. First, we need to develop some IP. It's very clear in ZK what are the metrics multiplication of ZK, right? Like stuff like... Um, like NTT, MSM, some kind of like, you know, Merkle Tree, it depends, stark, not. But you have this kind of like big problems that can be paralyzed, that can be accelerated. And we've noticed that just by accelerating those, you are not getting to the actual acceleration that you can achieve. Like it gives you something. Is it good enough? Not likely. You need to look at the problem end-to-end and accelerate everything, right? Um, So this is kind of like where we uh th- that's like one conclusion that we had and then we we've we understood what we need what need to be done next right so yeah i mean our journey so far has been um full of these kind of like discoveries and then basically refine uh our um direction in a way that would be more appropriate to actually serve the market
0: yeah, for sure. First of all, like the iterative, iterative approach is the only one that's successful in the long term. So good for figuring that out. But you're a seasoned entrepreneur, so you know. I think, like, the more, first of all, just uh, for those that are not deep, deep into this world, just to recap what you said, um, basically, like, so in all of this stuff is just extremely, extremely advanced in heavy mathematics, right? And so the naive approach to hardware acceleration is to find the mathematical uh, operation that is the most compute intensive, then build specialized hardware for that. And then the idea is if you find you know the space that's taking up 80% of your computation and you're able to improve that by, You know 10x then that should like be a massive increase on the efficiency of your protocol and what omer just said is you would think that that is correct but it turns out that the bottlenecks are so wide and spread over the whole stack of zk proving that it turns out that there's much more than just building this specialized hardware um so first of all was that a good summary um almost i mean i can give maybe another quick
1: example just to you know Make this point. So, one of the things we've done recently is an integration into a framework called Gnark. So, this is a Go language um, uh, prover framework. And the easiest thing to do, or you know, the the things that you can immediately do, is just do a drop in replacement of this like big math problems, right? So, you just replace them from being running on the CPU to run on a GPU. So, then we've done that and we've tried to benchmark and see where it gets us, right? Maybe it's good enough. And we've noticed that we are actually losing quite a lot of time on the back and forth between the host and the GPU device, it was like on GPU. Um, So then you need to um, drill and and like do a bit of like a deep dive into understanding why is that, right? So the next um, thing we've done was, for example, we've noticed that between two big math problems, there's some kind of like polynomial arithmetic uh, or some vectorized arithmetic that's happening. So it's a very, It's a very simple computation. It's a very uh, uh, small, fast computation. But the fact that you needed to take the output from the device to the host, do this polynomial arithmetic, then send it back to the device, this is what killed us, right? So we've just stayed in the device, right? So the change we've done was just, let's stay in the device, let's do the polynomial arithmetic on the GPU, which surprisingly, or not so surprisingly, it's also very parallelizable. So it was done like even faster. But then, because we need, we we were able to let go of this back and forth of communication bottleneck, basically it kind of like took the whole computation to become much more accelerate. Like the acceleration become like I don't know some factor better. So that's kind of like what I'm trying to say. That it's it's you know you have these kind of like problems
0: that are not just the math computation, um, but also how you kind of like connect everything together. No man that was super clear thank you super clear and so i think the important takeaway from this is one um you know creating these like order of magnitude improvement is so much more than just taking the computation and putting on specialized hardware right it's about building integrated systems but the the other important thing to realize is that when you make order of magnitude improvements like you're opening up entire new use cases and so I'm hoping that you have uh, a good example in the zk world. But off the top of my head, like the the example in just technology world is right. Like back when the internet started, when we had dial up and bandwidth was so bad. Like I mean, everything that we do on the internet. But I'll just take one example: recording this podcast. Just like wasn't possible, right? Like the bandwidth was too small. We couldn't do video. We couldn't even really do voice. And so like in the next 20 years as we evolved like our you know from uh dial-up to dsl to broadband and then like, like like those order of magnitude increases like create brand new classifications of um of applications and so like making zk more performant is not only like a business problem that only matters to huge corporations that have massive cloud compute bills it's also about like creating space for this industry to, um, like actually use the like mathematical magic that's being written at places like, uh, well, world-class universities.
1: Um, yeah, that's true. I can give, you know, many more examples, just take one from the gaming industry. Um, so today like multiplayer games, um, I mean, you can equate it basically also to how GPU, um, and, and image rendering kind of like, you know, made a difference at some point. But, you know, with GPUs and image rendering, like, only what you, when once you've got to, like, some threshold of performance, you are actually able to feel it, like, you know, see it in your eyes. Like, let's say, sub-second kind of, like, uh, improvement. And you were kind of like at this phase, right? So with multiple games in, in uh, today, you have this, like, centralized server that, um, and it's more than one server, but, but it creates this like huge overhead because think about every player needs to communicate with the server, kind of like um, mention or, or like talk to the server, tell, tell them what they need to do in the game. And then there is like quite a lot of heavy logic around anti-cheating, for example. Right? server needs to make sure you're not cheating. Obviously, you can replace anti-cheating with a proof, right? So it kind of like <laughs> it simplifies like the communication And I I would even say more, like, you can remove the server. I can be the server. Like, you can become, like, full peer-to-peer games. You can take whatever, like, game that, um, like, Fortnite and and make it peer-to-peer. You can scale the game, right? Like, instead of, like, Fortnite, Battle Royale, like, you know, max 100 players, now you can have 1,000. You can have 10,000 players. Same overhead, more or less. Um, You can also now integrate it with the blockchain, right? Because now it's decentralized. I don't need to trust whatever, like, um... Epic, Blizzard to give me uh, whatever, to to some token or something like that they control. (laughs) You can do trade, you can do all of this this stuff. Like I can, you know, keep, uh, there are many other examples also in gaming and in other fields, like AI can be completely disrupted. So yeah, I agree that once you go this kind of like threshold, um, it definitely opens up new possibilities. And yeah, I think again, like in this example from gaming, you have to get, and it it must be done through hardware, and you have to get to like a certain point uh, in terms of like the performance, right? You need to, if you want to play a game, um, which is like, you know, real time in a sense, you obviously want to aggregate some proofs. Like you don't want to send proof every like second, but still there is some like, you know, you want to batch a proof, let's say of like one second of a movement in a game, which is, can be quite a lot when you think about the physical engine, but then you want to send this proof over, right? Which is a very small, again, on the wire, Takes really little, like in terms of like the the size, but still, like it means you need to have some performance even on the client side in that in that regard. Um, so yeah, that's maybe just another example to to add some more color.
0: Yeah, awesome. No man, that's incredible. Um, okay, so so going back to um, what the insight that you just brought to us like, is super interesting that you would think you can get like all the, uh, improvement that you want, at least in the short term, just on the hardware side. But what you've realized is that so much more than the hardware side, it's about like the integrated system of, you know, everything from receiving the data to spitting out the proof. And, um, my question is like when you're building these products, um, are you able to build them like in modularized pieces so that like you can focus on the hardware and then slot it into, uh, you know, like the software stack based on the customized needs of each application? Or because performance is so based on the full stack, like, do you really need to start like with, okay, this is a use case. Now let's build a tech stack around it and then make that tech stack public.
1: Um, so. There are maybe two different approaches that you're describing here. So maybe one is, you know, being guided by a certain use case, right? So let's say, you know, like you have Bitcoin mining, right? So let's say there's this kind of like a mining, which is like a very, there's like a specified algorithm. It's not gonna change. And here you can take it all the way through ASIC. And, you know, in terms of the software stack, I mean, there should be some kind of like software stack here. Um, but it's gonna be relatively minimal, right? Like should it be enough to operate it? Um, and that's it. I mean, you can probably think about more complex kind of like examples, but that's one approach. And when we get something like that, right? Like there's a spec, this is like the proof that needs to be accelerated. Um, again, like some kind of like proof of work um, is, is I guess the canonical example, uh, and you need to optimize for throughput. Um, so here the approach is, is basically going straight to the hardware and then start iterating, right? So you want to have something, you measure performance, you can, you have very good tools today, obviously to check correctness, but then to kind of like see what, what is it that gets you uh, still to become slow and, and how to improve it, right? So it can be by moving to uh, newer technology, it can be by having better algorithms, it can be by having like you know better engineering. It can be many things, and and it's like an amazing problem space on its own, and uh, a fascinating one. Right, and we've been we've been uh, working on that front as well uh, on on you know several occasions, and yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like a very straightforward kind of like how we play. I think that uh, then the other approach is connects to what I mentioned before is that this is like a moving target, like the space is evolving and like, you cannot really point at like, you know, a point in time and say here, we are gonna start to see some convergence. I don't think we're gonna get to this point similar like what we see in AI. So that's why also for us the approach is very modular and very kind of like generic the way that what we try to build. So we just try to get everyone, you know, it's kind of like tied or like all ships boats are kind of like rising that's what we try to do in that sense so it goes it starts from like our id for an asic which we call zpu and it's just like you know a gpu but more suitable for zk and and cryptography right that's kind of like one one id but i think the even more important part is in that case it's not in the hardware it's in the software like you want to be able to build something which um is gonna uh, help developers or get them or like you know um, get them to use the hardware in a way that they don't need to think about it and we already mentioned it in this conversation right so for us for example the equation right now is that API is is bigger than performance like we can, I don't really care today if it's 10x or 11x I would rather have like a, you know a cleaner better API uh, for the developer to be able to utilize or take advantage of this 10x to begin with right? And that opened up kind of like a lot of challenges, right? So for us, for example, we are putting a lot of resources onto, you know, this API, right? This this kind of like, how do I allow developers writing in Rust, in Go language, C++, and other kind of like forms to accelerate, right? So the one thing I already mentioned is that the drop-in replacement is, you know, the most immediate thing. But I already gave, and what I gave in the example is that you also want, in a ZK problem, you want to take it end-to-end. So you also want to, support polynomial arithmetic, which opens up like interesting question. What does it mean? I mean, what kind of like uh, API I expose? Like, do I call it like uh, polynomial? Uh, Do I allow to do multiplication of polynomial? Do I do something which is like lower level? So for example, in our case, we decided on two levels of API. One is more of kind of like engineering. One is more for let's say developers. So one is more for the ones that are like actually trying to work on on like developing ZK protocols from zero. And one is for like, you know, developers that just want to integrate ZK inside of their project or product. Um, and they want to kind of like keep it more at the high level or there's a polynomial. Now I know that I can call a GPU for that. Right, so that's like the second approach, which again, it's another problem. It's another kind of like uh, interesting problem space
0: uh, with a bit of different challenges. Yeah, I mean, again, it's we're just at a time right now when it's just so important to put the tools out there um, and and create them. Then, uh, like, it's still, yeah, it's just so important to, like, be able to work with developers who understand, like, you know, for example, like to understand that computation really is just math. And then because it's math, you can manipulate it using math is definitely like a a hurdle that that a developer needs to reach over and i think it's so important to both service the cryptographers and the ones who have made that leap but also like we need just application developers who like don't even care they just need capabilities and so it sounds like while you're building Ingoyama it's super important that you are working with and actively cultivating relationships with both yeah i mean uh, i i i
1: the, the, your, your second point about, you know, having application developers simply don't care and be able to still leverage hardware um, and get this performance. I think it's critical. I think this is where we are at this point. I mean, this is what we're trying to do, like kind of like building the PyTorch, but for zero knowledge in a sense, like you should be able to just like write your algorithm uh, or just take a, like your ZK from somewhere. You should work on GPU or you should work on like whatever device specialized hardware, like it should just like walk out of the box, you don't need to think about it.
0: Yeah. So let's, um, let's pivot a little bit more to talking about Ingoyama And like, how do you build a business around this? So my first question to you is that like, in the long term, like when you think five or 10 or 25 years ahead, um, what does Ingoyama look like to you? Is this like an does it look like Nvidia? Does this look like AWS? Does this look like Twilio? Like, how do you understand what um, you're building, at least today? (laughs) Okay, so uh, that's a good question. Um, First, we are trying to build
1: a semiconductor company, silicon company. It's clear that this is the way to go with this type of cryptography, and this is where we want to be eventually. Now, it's not like we try to define ourselves, like, you know, before even, talking about business model and so on. You should also talk about vision. And the vision is that ZK should be accessible. It should be accessible for us on phones, on uh, on, on my Mac, everywhere, like on data centers, hyperscalers. ZK should be just, you know, something we use just like we use today, GPU, right? Uh, you have it everywhere. You have it in, in, like in my Mac, I have one chip with CPU and GPU. There should also be a ZPU inside of that, right? So that's kind of like the vision. And once that's gonna be uh, possible, then I'm sure we'll see like many, many use cases, as we mentioned before, decentralized identity, are like a critical part of, I think, um, like the modern whatever stack that we'll see in, in the future. Anyway, um, so that's in terms of the vision. The question is like, let's kind of like try to sketch how we get to that point, to that point from where we are today. Um, and I think that for us, like, uh, what's important is indeed to focus at the chip level, right? So once you have, you know, the best technology um, and the best engineering put into a chip, then you can, you know, put it in different form factors, form IP to uh, servers and data centers and hyperscalers. Uh, you can package it in, in, in different shapes and, and, and so on. Now, it's um, this is what I think we should eventually um, focus, but right now we are very far from that point. Right now, as I mentioned, uh, we are still, and you also told us uh, that we are still in the early days, and today it's basically transitioning or enabling the usage of this uh, specialized hardware to run ZK. And the best, what we have today is we have GPUs, we have FPGAs. Today, um, GPUs, and specifically NVIDIA GPUs, I think provide like the best um, uh, the best performance, the best trade-off that you can find. It doesn't mean that it's going to stay like this forever, uh, but right now this is kind of like the easiest, also in terms of like programming them and use GPUs. Uh, and they're, you know they are very accessible. We think that's kind of like the next, um, the next, step. the next, or the first ten X should come for GPUs, right? So here let's start to uh, to connect the dots side. Right? So again. Building a semiconductor company means certain things. It means something about what investors, how much capital, what's the IP that you want to build, what's the kind of network you want, the supply chain. I mean, even you know, if I'm gonna build an ASIC at some point, and I just want to clarify that as I'm trying to uh sketch, we work by removing bottlenecks, and it might be that the first bottleneck is not gonna be a computational um bottleneck like like ZPU, GPU. It might be that it's gonna be in memory or in like network, right? So we just wanna take it one step at a time, uh, removing bottlenecks and kind of like grow with uh, the industry, right? We want to keep at the same pace because if I'm gonna give you an ASIC today, you will have zero, like you can, you don't need it, right? like your with GPU, you don't really need an ASIC, but at some point GPU will not be able to catch up, right? Because Um, either because of availability or just simply because of you know the cycles so there are going to be new nvidia gpus let's say 2025 maybe by that time the demand from zk uh, markets is going to be too big right you just cannot catch up so it kind of gives you a very clear signal now you need to move to the next 10x now you need to move to the next 100x Um, so that's kind of like how we try to uh uh, to see ourselves grow over the next five-10 years. And yeah, we do kind of like long-term planning. That's also part of being a semiconductor company. Uh, and when it comes to business models, so um, it's it's easiest. It's the easiest is to talk about you know at the end and it's gonna look more like NVIDIA. That's like what I imagine at least, which means that again focusing on the chip, focusing on uh, having this um, amazing technology of ZPU and, and and zero knowledge uh, um, ASICs and that's what you try to sell eventually that's what you want to have in phones as I mentioned so it means you need to work with like apples and, and, and Samsung and the likes and uh, you yeah. want them in, in, in yeah in, in different kind of like um appliances so that's I would say kind of like what would be um you know looking far into the future but when you try to project it into today so today as I mentioned it's all about education it's all about taking the developers the developers community and bring them to um, the future Uh, and and the next kind of like generation of um, zk systems should be run on gpus as like first class citizen right so the business model for us here is going to be something similar to um, an open source business model like a freemium if you want right so we want to And I mean, I've been working on open source software, like I don't know for how many years now, I cannot see it in a different way. We try to do things differently. Also in hardware, right? like we try to actually like, you know, break uh, all of the stigmas around, you know, being like very kind of like isolated and, and moat and all of that, we try to do things in the way that we believe should be done. So today it's about getting these tools at the hands of the developers, allowing them access to um gpus in the short to medium term future when more l2s like ZK rollups um and other kind of like uh, products are going to scale there's going to be some economies around them right these economies will probably attract some big operators that would like to participate in these networks might be that this is going to be the only the only way to actually participate in in in, in, I don't know, in some way in in part in some of these networks we want to provide them tools and here you can also talk about how you take our open source tools and libraries and add to them, like to give an example, right? So what we developed or, or what you can find today in open source within Gonyama is this library let's call it, called Icicle. But True, if you have a GPU, you can now run ZK and you can get whatever 10x in your application. But if you are an operator, you have a data center, right? You are, you are a cloud operator, I don't know, and you actually want to participate in one of these networks, First, you want to be very competitive, and second, you want to be able to deploy in, in, in such scale, right? You want to be able to have, like, a data center type of support. So, for example, nowadays we are doing this kind of, like, experimentation uh, with uh, with few partners on how to scale. How do I handle multiple GPUs, multiple users, and multiple applications at the same time, right? That's a question, and this is something that we can actually use as, as an IP, right? I think it's... Kind of like very legitimate way to kind of like um uh, uh capitalize on, on this technology but yeah the idea is that today developers like you me um anyone that wants to build on zk should, people in academia should be able to just you know do it like seamlessly
0: um and and just enjoy the benefits of the performance yeah for sure man so uh well I, there's a lot to say there but i think the most important thing is um for me, like, the reason I am, like, so willing and excited about dedicating my, like, life and career and, like, interest and reputation to crypto and, like, specifically to Ethereum is, like, for me, like, Ethereum is, like, the final promise and the deliver, like the deliverance of open source software. And, like, what's special about Ethereum is that we're sharing... In the same way that open source has always been amazing but for the first time the the way ethereum works with the burn and all this stuff is that like as we build together we all benefit like in a very concrete financial way together and you know for me open source software has changed from like this like kind of like libertarian like weird internet culture thing that started with just like linux and and even way before that unix all that stuff but um to, like today, I see that like that that what crypto is is like the perfect meeting of cryptography and advanced math and advanced computation and like open source ethos. So I just like you spend three minutes on the Ingoyama site, like I you can tell like you guys get it and like really believe in that and like that, that the ethos that you guys are putting out there is the most important thing is that other people have access to the same knowledge and tools that we do. And like, we're always just going to believe that it's better that more people are contributing than like that we dig a moat around ourselves. So I just want to, um, say thank you. And like, you're totally right. And like, keep doing it in that specifically.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, (laughs) thanks. But, uh, it's, uh, I would say even more than that, like, you know, we're dealing with cryptography and cryptography, I mean, it's my opinion and, and the way that we're building this company, a part of the country, it, it, by no way, you cannot have cryptography as closed source. Like, that's wrong on so many levels. Like, this should be, you know, public goods in the, in, in in a sense. Um, and, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been enjoying working on cryptography open source. It's, it's a win-win. I mean, you know, it's... Um, it's a bit scary once you realize that your cryptography and your code like used like to pass billions of dollars, you know, between banks and, and whatever. Um, but it also very, it's very rewarding. And the only way that you can actually achieve it is by having this kind of like scrutiny of open source and the collaboration environment that you get from open source. And this is how you actually achieve the level of trust um, that you want in, in, in cryptographic system, like like no patents, um, an Oculus source, like, this should kind of, like, be open. So Ethereum very much, like, aligns with that, as, as you pointed out. Um, it's part of the ethos, and then, like, we are, like, happy to be part of this, you um, know, ecosystem and contribute our part.
0: No, for sure, and you're you're totally right. Like, the what is the point of, like, um, of private cryptography? Like, at that point, it's just trust again, so, like, why bother? <laughs> and so... Um, yeah, man great point so uh man i we could keep going on forever i think like honestly like i really want to just like drill in with you and figure out like are you guys in-house going to build the zk data center or is that an opportunity for someone to go build twilio zk uh, man like there's a billion things to talk about here but um you know unfortunately we're wrapping out of time so with our last few minutes here omar i just I guess, like, what would be your call to um, developers out there who are, like, really starting to get that ZK is, like, transformational and really can add capabilities to their products, but, like, don't really know um, what what to do other than, yeah, just <laughs> read Crypto Twitter. Like, h- how would you uh, encourage people to get more involved and start thinking about how to build with ZK?
1: So, first of all, Crypto Twitter um, is, and there's a lot of positive sides like to, to that, um, that's fine to, you know, to read uh, from some of the people there. And, and, you know, it also links into stuff that you can kind of like go into the rabbit holes. And that's completely fine, like, you know, to get lost inside of, you know, this ocean of information. Sometimes that's that's the way to go um, until you pick you pick up something that piques your interest. Um, I think that, and, and, you know, one point I want to make is that in this entire conversation, you can... First, you can replace zero knowledge with photomorphic encryption, and most of it would stay true. And that's also what we try to, that's the, the, the view that we also try to take, kind of like support, um, you know, if it's cryptography that can become useful in the context of, you know, decentralized computing, then we want to enable this cryptography to run at scale, in a decentralized fashion uh, by anyone. Um, so for, for, for those developers that are um, just starting, first, there are great resources to learn. Um, it's not necessarily easy, um, the the on-ramp to, you know, to get familiar with that, but we are getting that, like, we are, keep, we are, we are improving. So it really depends on, you know, what, as, as a developer, I'm saying it kind of like, you know, wearing a hat of, like, if I were a developer now, what would I do? So first, I think there's kind of like, at this point, the space is very um it's very broad, so one like maybe the first question I would ask myself is how to fo- like where to focus and for some for some folks it would be around the application level like maybe zero knowledge machine learning is what uh um most exciting for them and that's that's cool like there are a lot of work a lot of work to be done on z k m l um for others the math might be, you know, where the magic happens and this would guide you to kind of like take a very different path into understanding that and and there's, I mean, and then you need to kind of like, you know, there's the imposter syndrome that you need to kind of like shake off um, because this is, you know, as I said at the beginning, academia, industry, we're working now, you know, hand in hand, it's like we're moving forward at a very fast pace You can just, you know, find your sweet spot and and start to contribute. Start small, but I I can assure you that quickly you're gonna get to a point where you actually can, you know, just push the font, right? Um, Which is amazing. It's like, it's an amazing opportunity and it happens all across. So it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, just focus, find where to focus, try to learn. Crypto Twitter is one good resource. There are many others. And then try to contribute right so try to find like uh some open source try to build some app go into an event there are like amazing events happening like all all around the year so
0: yeah i mean uh that's kind of like my my tip awesome man thank you so much and yeah i i think the most important thing you said right there is we all experience imposter syndrome every day but um the zk spaces can be a minefield right because like you are dealing with like people that are inventing new math and people that are building billion dollar companies. And it's just like so crazy and out there and changes every day. But like, all I can say is that every other person in this space also feels like the dumbest guy in the room. So uh, join us.
1: (laughs) Everybody feels like the dumbest guy in the room. That's what you need to realize. Like, Like everybody feels the same, it's true.
0: For sure, man. OK, so uh, before I let you go, can you please tell the people um, where can they find you? Where can they find Ingoyama? And yeah, just um, if they want to learn more, where should they go?
1: Um, so, yeah, the company is, as I mentioned, trying to walk pretty much in the open. So our GitHub is obviously extremely active. Uh, I'm proud to say that we have like power users and contributors. And there are also great resources to learn. There's the IngoPedia, which I think is by now the number one like uh, place from where people are coming to our website. Uh, so it's very popular kind of like resource to learn. The website in um is another kind of like venue where you can read, you can get links to the videos that we, that we post, to the blogs, we try to release blogs quite often. So that's, I think, the best um, best way to uh, to learn more about where we are in our journey, and obviously we're very accessible. We have a Discord where the engineers are hanging. Uh, you can get their attention like quite easily. Just you know, reach out, ask a question. One of the channels, one of them would answer. Uh, I'm less important. I mean, I'm always available on Telegram. I have my own kind of like website, email, whatever. I try to be available for anyone that uh, think that I can help. But yeah, I mean, I think that uh, engineers in the company, like this is probably where you want to hang where the cool stuff is happening
0: <laughs> my friend much too humble and you're doing the the ceo thing right where it's your job to get your people the resources and the information and the connections that they need so um all i can say is that i'm so impressed and so excited for to, to see what you do and how ingoyama like does become to uh d- does grow to become the next nvidia and um, i'm just so excited for what you're doing for this space so my friend, thank you so much for, for the podcast, for the time. And um, man, I, I hope I talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me again. It was a real pleasure to, uh, to speak today.